0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film, we go back to the extensive revoir of Roger Corman to 1981's Galaxy of Terror. This was suggested by one of our loyal listeners, Ryan, as a tribute to an uh, actress that we lost recently, Aaron Moran. Aaron Moran Probably better known to those of us who grew up in the 80s and, and even earlier, as Joni on Happy Days. And then in the spin off series, Joni loves Chachi. Chachi was played by Scott, Scott Bale, Bale but. Who's, who's also been in the news recently. <laughs> Yeah, He was in the news for making a comment about her uh, after she died, which was totally inaccurate. Not inaccurate about the fact that she had a drug problem, but that it actually led to her death, which unfortunately uh, was caused by cancer, which was a bit of a surprise to everybody because she had been keeping it pretty quiet, and also I think it came on her pretty quickly. So uh, one of those unfortunate things. But we got a chance to look back at one of her film roles here, directed by a guy named Bruce Clark, and uh, also an earlier film. Actually, I think it's the second film uh, that James Cameron worked on, at least the second film that he worked on for Roger Corman Studios. The first one of those being Battle Beyond the Stars, just a couple of years before this, or maybe even one year before this, where he was a set director, did some art design for it, And then he ended up working on this film, graduated up a little bit to second unit director. Uh, Second unit, for those of you who don't know, is basically another director that directs the the less important scenes, oftentimes the scenes that just involve special effects or close-ups, things like that, that the primary director can't be bothered with. Uh, The second unit director does those things. And he designed a lot of the special effects in this film. He designed some of the art, did some of the art design. Uh, really had a strong influence on the look of the movie, and apparently used some really interesting techniques to get some special effects in this film that impressed everyone so much that uh, he got more and more uh, popular in Hollywood. And, of course, we know him now as as a, a god among men <laughs> right, right? in the film world. Right? And James Cameron, he directed Aliens, didn't he? Uh, He did. He wrote and directed it, yeah.
1: There's definitely a major Aliens vibe uh, going on in this movie. I mean, you can see where uh, he probably took... I don't know, some influence from from what he did on this movie uh, and carried it over to aliens because the plots really aren't even all that dissimilar. No. Um, and the look of it being in space uh, and kind of the claustrophobic spaceship kind of uh, look uh, definitely is reminiscent of aliens. And, and I like that because aliens is one of my favorite movies ever. I love that movie. Oh, yeah.
0: And, and this movie owes a lot to Alien, uh, which just came out a few years before it. I mean, it's totally an Alien ripoff, almost, <laughs> this one. Yeah. It, it's almost like cross-Alien with Star Wars, but, but definitely lean way more heavily in the Alien direction, uh, and that's what this movie is. And you're right, like even the set design from this almost entirely rips off of Alien and then completely informs Aliens. And I'm thinking especially about the ship... The uh, the idea behind it... You know, like, Alien, when it came out, was pretty groundbreaking in that it showed us a different kind of space. Like, Star Wars even showed us a different kind of space as well, right? It's it's this space that's kind of worn, it's kind of it can be grimy at times, it's like a lived-in future, even though technically Star Wars doesn't take place in the future, right? But it's it's like, it like a very lived-in kind of quality about it. You know, you have these droids that break down and are kind of cobbled together by different parts, and you know everything uh, about the set design and the production design of Star Wars was kind of unique in that way. And then Alien also went in this direction of instead of space being this pristine clean really nice and fresh new thing we really followed a crew of it's almost like an oil rig in space right right Uh, industrial yeah very industrial and then instead of these buck rogers type characters you swashbuckling heroes you're basically with the blue collar workers of space who are scouring for garbage and things like that i don't remember Researchers, what, what were the
1: guys in the original aliens actually do in, in the original alien actually doing in aliens? You had like these Marines, like the soldiers who are going in on this mission, this recovery mission. And that's exactly what's almost exactly what's going on in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, over the, when the credits are coming up, um, it's just kind of this blue, dirty alien landscape. Um, we, there's not any action going on, but we just kind of get a sense of um, outer space and then it cuts to this old lady who i guess is some sort of like i don't know prophet or something she <laughs> says that her name is her name is Mitra and she's the interpreter of the signs and She's sitting there with this guy who is identified as the master and uh, he he looks like a man, but you can't see his face because there's like this red aura all around his head. They get news that this planet has been found and apparently this is something that they've been looking for for a long time because the master is really pleased about it. And he says that he wants to send a crew, a rescue mission, because there had been a crew sent to this place. And they had never heard back, and, and they finally were able to locate where they were or something like that. Um, and so he wants to send a, a new crew for a recovery mission, and this prophet lady says, You would do that. Such risk. It has been too long. I'm tired of waiting. Death will surround you.
0: It is the only way.
1: A terrible way. But sure. Yes, master? Put together a class three ship with the normal exploratory and defense equipment. You will command the rescue mission. I will personally select the crew. I mean, really, it the the basic premise is almost identical to aliens. And yeah. then once they once they end up getting to this planet, then of course you still got the same premise where, you know, they're confronted by this alien species or whatever. But it has a little bit different of a twist uh, as well. It reminded me also a little bit of Event Horizon um, where it's in space and people are having to kind of confront their fears and their nightmares and things. But, uh, you know, in this movie, it's a cheap movie. It's a B-movie. It's a Roger Corman movie and and that's what he really was known for. Um, but I was really kind of impressed. I mean, you could tell some of the things, well, you could tell a lot of it was cheap. Um, for <laughs> example, I, I think the first, the first time we're actually in the spaceship and we see the captain or somebody kind of, you know, hitting instruments on the wall, you, you know, it, it looks pretty obvious that this is like cardboard. <laughs> like, like the, the whole the whole wall kind of moves anytime she touches a, a button or something. And there are other places where if you're paying close attention, you can tell, for example, I read that the interior of the spaceship, the walls, um, was made up of um, McDonald's takeout boxes, like the old Styrofoam burger boxes that the burgers <laughs> used to come in. They're, they're just open up and glued on the wall and painted over. And if you're looking... You can tell. I mean, it is obvious that that's what those are, but it looks pretty good. Um, and and yet even another connection to Aliens, I read that Bill Paxton was a set dresser uh, on this movie working under James Cameron. Um, and of course, then they went on to do Aliens together. So uh, lots of connections, even though this one came first. And really, as cheap as the movie was, it was made on a $700,000 budget, according to Corman, as cheap as it was, it looks pretty good. It's really not bad. Even when you can tell that these actors are probably standing in front of a matte painting or maybe even a green screen, it looks good. You know, it's interesting visuals. It's it's fun to look at.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think if it feels cheap at all, it kind of feels cheap in the filming. Like, the cinematography feels a little cheap. But... Uh, And and some of the acting (laughs) and writing. Well,
1: yeah, you know, all the other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the acting, but some of the acting is actually quite good. Oh, yeah. You've got, you know, Aaron Moran, may she rest in peace. I I wasn't – we like to do this. We like to do tributes to to the stars that we've lost. Um, I I think, you know, they deserve a little bit of credit in their passing. Aaron Moran, you know, she's just one of those – actresses who was such a part of such an iconic piece of television history that she's just in my consciousness. I know who she is. This movie came out while Happy Days was still running. It was before Joni and Chachi, and she's really kind of at her prime. She's beautiful. She looks fantastic. Um, Is her acting superb? (laughs) no probably not you know she worked with the writing that she was given which was not anything spectacular but you know it's definitely a passable performance and 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 she's she's nice to watch you know she's pretty she's likable um and you appreciate her there are lots of faces in this movie that you're going to recognize um there's a character named core uh played by ray Walston. Who I was trying so hard to to recognize. I knew I had seen him in a bunch of stuff. Um, I guess he's uh, most famous for My Favorite Martian. Um, he was maybe the main guy on that show. What I what I recognized him from was he played Candy in the John Malkovich version of of Mice and Men. And I teach that book and I've shown that movie a million times. But he he's a, quite a good actor. And then you've also got a very young Robert England um, yes. playing a character named ranger uh and i really like him he he's not one of the largest characters um but it's fun to watch him again such an iconic guy and and of of course known mostly for his role as freddy krueger but just to see him you know he's he's young he's he's fresh he's he's good looking but you definitely also see in certain places in the movie little scraps of the scary Freddy Krueger vibe that will will come later. Um, So while overall the acting and the writing is not great, there are some shining moments and some shining performances. And and I thought that really kind of raised this above the level of your typical B-movie. For a B-movie, I would give this a high score.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, while you're rattling people off, another person, Grace Zabriskie, who ends up yes. playing the cap the the captain in here is emblematic of i think what the actors have put it into you've got good actors who are given some pretty goofy roles and at least in her case i thought it was the goofiest role, and she hammed it up like you wouldn't believe. Uh, oh, yeah. The, as the captain, she's supposed to have come off of this earlier mission that's just alluded to, the only survivor of the Hesperides massacre. So she's just got this intensity and kind of ridiculous lines, really, that, that start off the whole movie that are trying to paint her as this tough-as-nails, doesn't-take-crap-from-anybody thing. But honestly, because of the writing, it, it comes off... Really forced.
1: All crew, this is Trentor. Lift off in thirty seconds, and mark. Captain, no one's prepared. They've got thirty seconds to get prepared.
0: (laughs) I mean, like what no space captain would ever do of any ship. You presume because it's kind of this rescue mission, they have all the time in the world to do this. It's not like it's not like, but but she's like, let's push it, let's get it into hyper warp speed or whatever. That's kind of dangerous. We're just gonna do it anyway, and she just does it, putting her crew in peril for absolutely no reason at all, just to add some intensity. Um, to these early (laughs) scenes and to give her character, you know, this
1: tough-as-nails attitude. So dumb. Yeah. Really. (laughs) Yeah. And And, and she, again, is is another super... She's got such a distinctive face. Mm. I mean, if you've watched television or movies in the last 20 years, you've seen this lady. She was in The Grudge. She was in Twin Peaks. She was um, in Seinfeld. She's been all over the place. And when I saw her, she's one of the first crew members you see. And when I saw her, I was like, oh, I love her. She's great. Um, She's really not given much much to do no. she's anchored in the spaceship the whole time until she eventually somehow mysteriously gets fried i don't even yeah. really know what happens but regardless you know it's fun to see her face there and, and she like you said the writing is is so silly but she commits to it yes. <laughs> like,
0: she She knows what she's we're gonna do <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> exactly um and and again it, like you said while we're kind of rattling people off. Um, more me- members of the crew, there's is- the hot blonde, uh, who, who is uh, Demia, uh, who I really didn't recognize, but when I looked at her IMDb profile, I saw that she was from New Year's Evil. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's another movie we've talked about. And I think, I think, don't you think she was probably the blonde in the bar that the guy picked up? I think so, yeah. She's the one. Or the blonde's friend. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, sexy blonde, big boobs, you know, had to have one of those in, in an 80s movie. And then you've got a character called uh, Q-Hod. I I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but he's played by Sid Haig. Um, And and Sid Haig is probably most famous for his work with Rob Zombie in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, And its sequel, which I can't think of the name of right now. Uh, And he's a scary, scary guy in those movies. Uh, And in this, uh, it's funny because this movie was made in 1981. He looks virtually the same (laughs) as he Mm -hmm. does today. Mm -hmm. Um, This kind of ensemble of these really familiar faces for a fan of the genre and you know just of of tv and movies in general it's nice to see all of these people at a different time in their career come together in this movie that i don't know if i've ever even heard of this movie before
0: now you know one other person we have to mention on here again this probably isn't going to mean anything to anybody who's younger than us but zalman king plays balon uh one of the other guys I
1: didn't recognize him what was he from
0: Well you know he's not really recognizable as a face he's had a limited career as an actor but I remember on cable TV I think it was HBO or something The Zalman Kings The Red Shoe Diaries was uh,
1: uh. <laughs> one of those
0: you know like sexy programs that as a as a you know as a young adolescent you know you'd try to catch when it came on right time. and he did Tons of this, like softcore erotica, basically uh, for cable TV, and is pretty famous for that. It's funny to see him. I didn't actually know that he had an acting career at all until I saw this movie and looked at, oh yeah, he's got like a dozen of, the, of these acting credits, but just went on to be a very notorious producer of, of these just softcore sex movies for, uh, for... Cinemax, right? Yeah, Skinemax. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's got like these distinct personalities. And part of what makes this such a B film is that maybe the characters are a little too well-drawn yeah they're a little too co- okay you've got the toughest nails captain who's got this past that is always haunting her balon who's just he's just skeptical of everything doesn't seem to like anybody uh, and just kind of wants to press ahead on his own uh you have core right. who's the cook who's the mysterious guy who actually kind of seems to show up a little late and doesn't have a lot to do even though at the end of it he ends up playing a huge role in it he just kind of sneaks right, in right. and then comes leaves out of nowhere um you have demia who like you said the, the blonde, sexy one the sexy one right who you don't really know why she's there <laughs> she's supposed to have some right. talent, but <laughs> who knows uh, aluma i didn't
1: get what her role was oh no she was like the psychic she Right, she can sense things, and this was such a strange, weird part of this movie. like I never really understood like she's supposed to have some sort of power, I guess, but mm-hmm. or, or psychic ability, but I could never really understand what <laughs> it was that she was supposed to be able to sense, like she just keeps saying throughout the whole movie, "Oh, I feel it, or "Oh no, I don't feel it <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> like what? What do you feel? I don't what's happening? Well, like I think that she could maybe like sense other life forces or yeah. something like that. It's
0: kind of funny because like it appears that like, she's like running the whole operation there for a while like their entire plan is just to walk around with her until she senses something right. and then they go in that direction i mean you're thinking don't don't they have some devices or something that they can like scan around and you realize they're just going forward because she senses this or she doesn't sense that and at one point she says absolutely nothing if there's anything to be found captain i'll find it myself balon i'm size sensitive the subtle energies do exist they even pay me to sense them, all right? I think they're trying to, again, very clumsily paint this notion of the future where there are, this is a profession, you know, that there are people who have these, but it's so clumsy and it's just kind of chucked in there and it doesn't really go anywhere except when it's convenient for the plot at that particular time. Uh, And then Q-Hod is this, uh, as you said, he's like a mute through the whole movie. He's another person who like I thought he was going to have a lot more to do and he really didn't.
1: <laughs> well, I I read that um initially in the script he, you know, was just another crew member much like the rest of them but Sid Haig thought that his dialogue was was super corny which <laughs> I'm sure it's true because the rest of it all is. Um, But so he asked the director if he could play it more like a mute and um, the director went along with it. And so he only has one line uh, in the whole movie. He's this, you know, we don't know anything about any of them. We don't know anything about their backstories except for the captain who was in some kind of failed mission or whatever. But um, Q Hod's thing is that, he has these like crystal ninja stars uh, that he uses as weapons, and um, his his only line uh, in the whole movie is at, at some point he uses his stars to like prevent a door from opening, and and they end up getting shattered. And somebody else, I think it's um, Balon, tries to give him a gun, and uh, Qhad just says, "I live and I die by the crystals." <laughs> <And> that's, <laughs> that's the only line uh he has in the whole movie but oh uh, my gosh he says it with he, all the gusto
0: that you can muster for that line though <laughs> <laughs>
1: he sure does he sure does he's just got he's got such a distinct look uh about him you know he's I, I think he played, is it Captain Howdy he played in House of Thousand Corpses and the other one? He's just got this really gruff look about him, and, and he's fun to see in this. Then there's also Cabrin, um, who ends up kind of being the hero of the movie. And he and Aluma uh, have some sort of romantic bond and he's played by Edward Albert, um, who I guess did some work in, in the Power Ranges franchise. I recognized him because he was in a movie called Butterflies Are Free with Goldie Hawn, which was based on a play that I was in once. And I played the same role that he did. So oh. uh, I recognized him from that. But, you know, it's it's actually almost kind of too big of an ensemble. Yeah, a- At least that's what I was thinking in the beginning, especially since they all have these really weird names. It's kind of hard to keep track of who is who. But, what they do is they end up kind of setting up interesting ways to kill each of them off. Um, And each of those was, in fact, quite interesting, and and I enjoyed watching all of them. So I'm I'm glad that uh, they, they did have this kind of large group of people to play with. We better get to the plot. <laughs> no. Otherwise we're gonna run out of time. They so like you said, they have to go to this planet. I think it's like planet Organthus or something. And like you said, uh, Captain Tranter hyper speeds it there and everybody kinda you know, things are shaking and falling off cabinets and um, <laughs> the, the people the people are like shaking in their seats and things and but but they get there and like they literally get there in about thirty seconds. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was so funny. Like, uh, okay, we gotta go. We're here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My favorite part of the sequence is that apparently flying the ship involves just basically flipping a bunch of switches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no there's no flying really going on. It's just flip these switches,
1: flip this switch, flip it well and everything is so low tech. You've got like a computer screen with just an image of the spaceship on it, and like the spaceship will like tilt to the right a little bit, and then it'll straighten itself <laughs> out and then tilt to the left a little bit. But they get there and uh they go to investigate, I guess, this outpost where these other people were. We had seen, I guess I, I failed to mention in the very, very beginning there's just this really short short shot of an astronaut running away from something. And he's like, he's carrying guns and he locks himself in a room and we see something outside the window. It's kind of amorphous. Like you can't really tell what it is. And then he just, like gets thrown up against a wall and dies. So we know there's some sort of threat. And when they get there, immediately they encounter a couple of bodies. And like for reasons I don't really understand, they immediately incinerate the bodies yeah. instead of like investigating <laughs> what might have happened.
0: That, did, um, that didn't make any sense to me at all. Like it, it, it seems to be a big priority of theirs is like let's burn these bodies as quick as possible. I don't know if they're worried about some kind of infection or something, but like you said, their whole purpose to be there is to figure out what happened to this crew. So the fact that they just incinerate them the minute. That they come across them um, doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it
1: doesn't. <laughs> uh, but, but they find they find at least two that they incinerate right away, and then they're all kind of walking around. And another thing that uh, I thought was hilarious about this movie was that immediately, anytime they get somewhere, they split up. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, as you know, in these types of movies, is always a great idea. Koss, who I don't think we've mentioned yet, um, we've said they've all have just kind of these <laughs> silly character tags, Koss is the jumpy one. <laughs> 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 His that's only me, distinctive characteristic. He's the jumpy one. So um, <laughs> he's looking around and he's by himself and he sees like this kind of cockroach beetle kind of alien and, and he runs away from it terrified and he's so terrified that he can't even speak and doesn't even tell the other people. Uh, and and uh, But they see that he's terrified and so they all walk off and leave him behind <laughs> and um, he's then uh, a attacked and killed by this insect-like alien. And then we jump back into the spaceship where everybody is regrouped. Aluma says something like, I sensed a life force around Koss, but then when he died, it was gone. Like, (laughs) how did you even know he died? Like, did somebody turn around and go back? Oh. Darn it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They don't seem very broken up in I was kind of happy that Kaz went, too. I mean, first of all, you knew he was going to be the first guy. Second thing, he was so jumpy. It's sweating all the time. (laughs) He was just super annoying. (laughs) Uh,
1: It was pretty funny, I thought. It was hilarious. Um, and when they're when they're back there, Trantor, I mean, she she drops all these lines about how it was just like this on Hespis or Hesperus yeah. or whatever. Uh, that's that's how it was on Hesperus. First you don't see anything, then they're everywhere. Uh, and like I so I kept thinking that there would be some connection like yeah. between this mission and the Hesperus mission, but exactly. really it doesn't seem like there is. No. She just keeps she just keeps making it. connections that aren't there. <laughs> Uh, Oh, yeah. But then they get on their super high tech computer and they do like this scan of the landscape and, um, when they get to area 419 i don't know what that means like the camera goes off like there's there's too much energy there or something and so they they know that that's where they have to go check things out and so most of them go i think some of them stay behind i don't remember who stays behind the the captain stays behind and ranger and core stay behind but i think the rest of them go and they uh go and they find this Alien pyramid, which again is probably one of these matte paintings, or or maybe it's a set that they did with miniatures. I'm not sure, um, but it looks really cool. It does uh, when they find this pyramid, and then then of course they have to go uh, explore that. So split up, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and go explore the pyramid. But it, it's fun.
0: It was a cool set piece. They're really lucky because the minute they land on the planet, they do an analysis of the. Uh atmosphere, and they're like, well, it's it's pretty crappy out there, but at least you'll be able to breathe. So they don't have to wear, like, spacesuits or anything, which I'm sure saves (laughs) a lot of money. But they do (laughs) wear these, like, giant packs on their back, and... As far as I could tell, the only function of these packs was to be, like, giant, heavy, cumbersome flashlights. There was right? there was nothing else that was, like, in them or that they could do, except they had these two lights kind of by either side of their head that shone forward, which, um, from a production perspective, is very convenient – for lighting the scene and lighting the faces and actually has a really neat effect and again, I you can totally see that in the design for aliens going forward. The planet, as they're out walking around, it looks very similar even like yeah. coming across a big structure like this looks very similar and again, the design of their packs and things, except an Alien, you know, th- they were more like spacesuits, and they had a little more function to them than they do here. Right. But, uh, yeah, and and I love when they're climbing. So they end up, like, literally having to climb this pyramid to get in and find an entrance. And the whole time they're climbing up, um, the second in command... uh, Commander Ilvar? Commander Commander Ilvar. Suddenly getting super emotional. Like... (laughs) Like what? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) He stops, he's like,
1: I'm getting old. I'm tired. I'm tired of giving orders and I must be for home. You're not old, Commander. No, when I'm looking at you, I'm not. (laughs) I'm so old. (laughs) Why am I here? And
0: then oh, it's goofy. they finally get to this opening, and they look
1: over it, and he starts reciting poetry. <laughs> like... Yeah, some weird thing about demons, and like <laughs> I, I started to write it down, and then I'm like, no, this is too weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let Todd play the clip. <laughs> Doubt.
0: His brother, demon, to
1: despair. Tailed out with his own,
0: anyway, so they, they drop him. He decides to go down in. He's going to be the first one to kind of rappel down into this opening. And they're not even sure how big it is or how deep it is or what happens. So they lower him down in there. And uh, these tentacle things kind of come out from the wall. And it's they, they grab onto him. They're almost like l- leechy, I guess, in yeah he ends to them like they can stick to him and it looks like they're starting to suck something and at first he kind of cuts them away but in the end they overtake him and he's dead.
1: Well and- and there's there's kind of an important uh, I don't know it, it feels almost like a throwaway line uh, in the moment but Cabrin goes down to to see what happened and of course the the guy's gone but uh Demia says there was nothing but these wormholes I hate worms and then later uh Luma mentions something about hating tight spaces and that becomes an important plot point because what we come to find out later is that every all of these aliens and monsters that they face are just manifestations of their fears which i think is actually a really interesting concept not that it's not been done before it's been done a million times but in this kind of space alien environment um, i thought that that was interesting
0: you do have to be paying attention to pick up on that though because i have to say like it wasn't until i read a synopsis of the film that i realized that that was what was happening
1: Towards the end, I think that it's Ranger who figures it out, and oh. um, then uh, spoiler alert—not like we won't get there anyway. I, but actually, it is kind of a spoiler because it really surprises me. Um, eventually, Aluma dies, and I didn't think that that was going to happen. I thought mm. that she and I thought that she and Cabrin were going to be the the sole survivors. Yeah. Um. But but when Cabrin finds her this it all kind of happens concurrently you know Ranger figures it out and then he finds Cabrin and Cabrin has just found a Luma Ranger says something like it was my own fear that attacked me brought to life somehow by this place." I knew that when I saw Luma so they they do make mention of it, um, mm. and I think he even says something like, "There are no nightmares here or no monsters here, except for the ones we make in our minds, yes, or something that's like true. that. I remember that now and it's not entirely clear because you know like it seems like if they figure that out, then they are able to escape their fears right. and their fears can't harm them, but if they don't figure it out. <laughs> then they they truly are in danger because most of them, most of them get killed yeah. um, by the thing uh, that they fear. Um, so I don't know. It's a little clunky, but as a concept, I thought that it was, um, I don't know, clever.
0: Yeah, it's a cool concept, and it is clunky. And I think what I would have preferred was to realize this in advance. I think it would have helped my enjoyment of the film, that if I knew this more in advance as opposed to it being kind of a reveal toward the end – I think I just would have enjoyed it more. Because as it plays out for so much of the film, it just seems like so many random, crazy things are happening to these people that there's not a coherence to it. You know, it's... Right, right. And and it's not like there needs to be. I mean, it's an alien planet. There could be all kinds of life forms and all kinds of dangers here. But, again, you get this sense it's being set up that there is a singular threat here. And so to see it manifest itself in all these different ways without much of an explanation, it, to me, just seemed like so much a B-movie hodgepodge, you know, thrown together. Right. Well, like, this would be a cool monster to have. This would be a neat scene for them to have to deal with. And it wasn't until afterwards that I realized... Hey this movie was actually a little more clever you know than it felt for most of right. it. Right.
1: <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it, yeah. It does. And to be fair, I read a synopsis two before I watched it. So I kind of knew that was gonna be going on. I don't know if I would have caught on to it um, had I not read that. Mm. But having read the synopsis and knowing that kind of helped me out. And you know it like I said, it does manifest in interesting ways. Like I told I said before about how Q hods, when they're going into the pyramid, Q hod's crystals get broken because he tries to use them to stop a door from opening and it doesn't work and they get shattered. Um, when they all split up to go looking around inside the pyramid, he goes back outside to where the crystals had shattered and and all of a sudden they um, repair themselves uh, and he's all excited and he goes to grab one and it kind of stands itself up on end and shoots itself into The flesh of his arm um, like stabs under the skin of the flesh of his arm, and he grabs it and tries to pull it out, but a shard of it breaks off in his arm and starts making its way up his arm. And so he takes the other part of the crystal and chops his arm off, uh, and then the the severed arm picks up the other crystal (laughs) and throws it at him. And it uh, goes right into his heart uh, and he is dead. And then pretty much immediately after that, Demia goes looking for him Uh, and she goes out and she finds his body um, and I feel like she incinerates his body but then she kind of like trips over the severed arm and it's covered in maggots. Um, And I guess that the maggots are kind of writhing around on the arm. Not that it's important, but a little bit of trivia. I read that that was James Cameron's, you know, effect and the way that he got the maggots to writhe was by uh, running an electric current through the prop. Um, And everybody was really, really impressed. And that kind of was a a feather in his cap and and led to him going on to do more things. But she sees these maggots and she's already said that she hates worms And so she kind of runs off. um, And then we see one of these worms grow into this giant thing, like this giant mutant space maggot worm. And then I I tried not to read too much about this going in because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want it to be entirely spoiled, but I read that there was this infamous scene, um, and this is it. And I want you to describe it because, oh boy, because I don't, I, I, just, you, 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 talk about it, and then I'll tell you what I think.
0: Well, you know when you see the poster for this movie, I love the poster. The poster for this movie is this classic, like pulp dime store no- um, um, sci-fi novel or comic book cover, uh-huh. which has these like aliens. On- it's like an alien landscape, and it's got these evil-looking aliens, and they have a woman, you know, who's ha- whose shirt is half, ripped, you know, her clothes are half ripped off, kind of backed up against a, st- you know, a stone. Uh, it's it's super sexist. It's super super not PC, and it's absolutely right. every single one of those Dime Store novels, uh, almost like, you know, Harlequin Romance novel cover. Right. They were a dime a dozen. And this scene seems to kind of take that and literally recreate it. She backs up, and you can see this giant worm, and it's pretty suspenseful, because you can see it behind her, but she doesn't see it. And so she backs up into it, and when she turns around, it starts going over her, and it looks like it's about to consume her. It looks like it's eating her and at first that's what it looks like. She's she's kind of covered with slime and she's like screaming and her back's on the ground and she's writhing around. But then it's like ripping her clothes off and you get these kind of nude parts in here and it doesn't take but about 15 seconds for you to realize that this worm isn't eating her it's like raping her. Mm-hmm it's shot in this way, it's like shots of her, and at first she's screaming and she's yelling, and then you get this sense that there's a little bit of the pleasure in her face, and Mm -hmm. then there shots of the worm over her and it's got these awkward like tentacle hand arm things that are kind of moving back and forth and then there's this unmistakable bit towards the very end where there's this very definite like a second and a half of like thrusting (laughs) going on over Mm -hmm. her bare legs and i was like oh man um i didn't read about this before i went in and I i saw this and i thought this is unusual. This is not something you see outside of, um, like, a Japanese tentacle rape anime or something like that. Right. Um, I, that came out of left field for me, like, totally came out of left field, and it was a little uncomfortable. And I have to say, like, it was unique, and I actually expected something to come from this. I thought that it was, like, impregnating her or something. Right. But, no, I mean, that's just kind of the way she goes. I guess,
1: yeah, and okay. So I read that um, initi- the way that it was scripted was she was just supposed to be attacked and killed like most of the other characters, and then at the last minute, the director said that he would like to try oh, no. this other thing. It was, where- it
0: was it was Roger Corman, the producer, who had promised- oh was it he had promised his his you know his partners and distributors, that he would have some um, nudity with her. Uh, and, oh, okay. And uh, initially, you know, it was just going to be like her clothes got pulled off or something in the scene when, when the thing was eating her. But then he came up with this rape scene idea and um the director and she were not really comfortable with that so actually roger corman himself took over directing this scene oh yeah so he actually directed this scene in the movie and she was she ended up being pretty okay with it but she wasn't didn't want to do so much nudity so they ended up using a body double for a a bit of of the nudity in here and yeah
1: gotcha okay well that makes that makes sense you know and Boobs, of course, and B movies. You know that's that's you know part and parcel of of the genre, and that's that's fine. Um, it the only reason it bothered me, and it's not that it. You know, y- you're right. I think that the reason that it was off-putting, maybe, is just because it, it came so out of left field. Like yeah. it just seems like, like tonally, it doesn't fit in this movie. No, you know, it doesn't. Other than that, this feels more kind of like a lost in space kind of. Not family friendly because there is, you know, yeah. violence and gore and stuff. But um, it's got, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's got a lighter feel, a lighter tone. Um, and this is, is graphic and violent and, and silly too. I mean, you know, it's a giant worm. And we talk about these uh, effects, you know, this is <laughs> a classic B-movie giant monster. Yeah. But I felt like they did it really well. The they way did. that they shot it, it looked scary Rather than looking silly, I mean you didn't ever see it in really in its entirety. you just saw it in pieces and frame um, yeah. and and it was and it was wet and juicy and and it you know the movement seemed fairly organic it, it was um, it was it was good the way that they did it um, but the whole the whole rape thing was just kind of weird and I read that initially because of that scene and because of some additional gore that they ended up having to cut. The movie initially got an X rating uh, and they had to cut out some of the the worm thrusting and some of her moans of pleasure and like I said they had to cut out some some gore shots too but uh yeah I don't know it's just a weird scene. I get why it's kind of notorious. <laughs> yeah because it's 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 weird and 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 gross um but a, a creative at least you know at least we're not seeing the same kills over and over again and True. and I liked that about it. True. Him. Yeah. I mean uh,
0: it's fine. As far as I'm concerned it is is fine. Totally off from the rest of the movie for sure yeah. and and clearly it wasn't originally part of the script. You know, you can tell.
1: Right. And, and eventually they find her nude body <laughs> They just incinerate it. <laughs> incinerate it, right. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> darn it, another one down, incinerate it. Well, and that's, um, and that's
0: another thing that's a little off about this movie is that, uh, again, the, there's almost no emotion. Well, to be fair, all of these people were just assembled. They really didn't know each other before this. But there are times when it's convenient for the plot for them to try to draw some emotional connections between the characters. But generally speaking, when it's not convenient to the plot, they're just fine, like, Killing people off, and nobody really bats an eye, right? Right. Uh, as it right. goes along. <clears throat> and that's one thing that kind of keeps this movie, again, from really rising up, I think, above its B movie status. You've got your cardboard cutout characters, you've got things happening to people, and everybody just throws their hands up in the air. Oh, well, I hope we can survive. And then I think the thing that, that right. was troubling me as we went through this. So there's a scene where Cook confronts the captain. The captain's kind of going crazy, still back in her ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost irrationally, just she's kind of going nuts. Just I just think this is just her trajectory. Like <laughs> like like this was just going to happen to her eventually if you, she sits alone by herself for a while. And Cook, again, comes in from out of nowhere. I'm not even sure we saw him much before this. Uh, and suddenly he's taking an interest in the mission. And he's his name is Kor. I'm sorry, but like literally he's the Cook. Um, yeah, right. And and the captain runs out and just sort of dies in the airlock. That was kind of clunky and kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, they all end up coming back from the pyramid again. It's like they keep making these little expeditions out and they for, keep coming back.
1: Right for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, somebody let's, died. Let's let's go back to the let's go back to the ship to talk about things for five minutes. <laughs> we'll yeah, come back exactly.
0: <laughs> Cook asks to join again, and then what comes is one of my favorite lines they go back in and it I don't know do they find a different entrance every time because it always looks just a little different
1: uh, when they come in <laughs> right <laughs> I don't think so I no, I think it's actually the same one because Cook comes out and and says it, it, it appears to still be open. <laughs> <laughs> My, so I don't know my favorite line is
0: uh, when Aluma turns to Cabrin and it looks like they're trying to build this kind of relationship he's the dashing man and she's the right. whatever the one who's left and uh, she says aren't you afraid
1: too scared <laughs> I almost thought that I misheard that <laughs> I had to it myself Wait, well, I don't get
0: it Oh, uh, it is a good line, though. It's funny. Yeah, it's great. Well, they come when they go back out, they find these tubes that descend down further in there. And so naturally, they decide, well, I guess we need to go into these tubes. Even though Illuma is afraid of tight spaces, they just recklessly start throwing themselves down these tubes. Like, th- the whole movie, the thing that, and this is what I'm getting to, the thing that bothered me the most about this movie is these guys really, like, they have no goal like, they're right. just continually going into this pyramid to confront whatever, but we're kind of long past this notion that they're going to find more crew members or if they're ever going to figure sure. out what's happened to this crew. They're just exploring this thing
1: to their inevitable demise, you know? And getting picked off one by one, and it's hilarious. There's even, at some point, I think it's a Luma says something like, they're acting like snipers, picking us off one by one. And yeah. I was like, duh, you guys keep splitting off from one another and going off by yourselves. Obviously, they're going to pick you off one by one. Oh, God. And it, it, it's humorous because it's so silly. And like, they, so they get, they go down these tubes, and the tubes are hilarious because they're really just slides. Like, it reminded me of Goonies when they're going yes. down like the water chute. Exactly um, what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up um, at the end of these slides at this really cool set piece yeah. that I don't know how to explain it. it re- like kind of like The Matrix, or it reminded me of a movie called Cube, yes. um, which is also a, a sci-fi kind of horror movie. Um, but they're like kind of on this bridge grid. Yeah, o- over like an abyss. Yeah, yeah. And uh Cabron Keeps saying, "Everybody stay together." You know, we can't separate. And Balon keeps hanging out in the back. Um, and Cavern even says to him, like several, like at least twice, like, "Come on, it's not good to get separated or whatever." And he just keeps hanging in the back. And he eventually gets attacked by what I took my note as as like a wolf devil like i I couldn't (laughs) i didn't know it kind of looked like the devil it kind of looked like a wolf i don't know but um it attacks him and throws him off the bridge it it was a cool creature effect but again like i'm still not clear on what
0: his fear was you know i mean all it's it's a neat concept but it's not really played to its full hilt In in a lot of these cases, it's just like a scary creature. Like, I would be afraid of a big scary creature like this, so this is what's going to kill me. Sure. And what was coming before this, what kind of separates him from the group, I didn't quite understand either. There was this whole opening and closing the door kind of shtick that that revolved around this big triangle on the ceiling. Did you get what Yeah. What was going on there? No. No idea. Uh, Okay. No No (laughs) idea. So weird. They're like, if you open it, it comes. And if you close it, it goes. Open the door. Now close it. Yeah. I don't know. It was strange.
1: I didn't know either. The only thing that really kind of stood out about all of that was Core, the guy we keep calling Cook because he is the cook. He kind of suspiciously seems to be familiar or, or at least kind of like have some insight into what is going on in here and it, and of course as it turns out he does um but like he kind of keeps going off by himself it it's him who discovers that whole door thing with it making this triangle appear and disappear i have no idea what that was or why it was important and ranger robert england is yeah. is suspicious of of core because at some point back in the ship core had knocked him out for reasons that I don't understand. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so he's kind of suspicious and, and and it makes us suspicious, but, and then like things just kind of kept happening that I didn't understand. At one point, Ranger, Robert, England just loses his shit on (laughs) Cabrin for reasons like I had no idea. Like, what is your problem? I know. I was
0: thinking the same thing. I was like, why is he suddenly going crazy on this guy? And it seems to imply like that he knows him, like that they have some past together or something. But it doesn't fit with what we've seen so far. Quit lording it over me like you were still the patron saint
1: of the academy, Cabrin. Believe me, those days are long past. What? I said, quit playing the master with your friends, Cabrin, Oh, buddy. Because I'm done calling after you. Did you know that, buddy? I'm setting myself with my own buddy fingernails. Did you know that? Do you even care? It was strange. I liked the scene because Robert England really has this intensity in his acting that I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed oh, yeah. seeing it, but it didn't really make sense. No. I guess, you know, they just kind of calm him down. And then these triangles these lit up triangles appear and Aluma walks through one and it closes off behind her and then Cabrin it seems like he's walking through the same one but it, I
0: think so he it's,
1: ends up somewhere else it's put it's like
0: transporting them to different places I think yeah
1: and then they Yeah, I think so too. And then once they're all transported to these different places, they're like kind of locked in there. And it's almost kind of like a beehive kind of thing where they can, you know, there's these, there's these panels, these like kind of transparent panels that they can see each other through, but they can't hear each other through and they can't get through them.
0: It's like a funhouse mirror maze kind of thing where some, yeah. of the, some of it's glass and some of it's mirrors. And You're right. And like they're all just transported to different parts of it.
1: And then um, Ranger, um, somebody grabs him from behind and he turns around and it's him. <laughs> Robert England playing both of these parts and, and like there's good Ranger and bad Ranger. And this is where I was like, Oh man, I can yeah. so see Freddy Krueger coming up out of here. Um, cause he's got this, just this really, men- he's so good at it. <laughs> like I'm, 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 I'm envious of his, his talent. Cause he's so good at this menacing, scary, look and um so good ranger and bad ranger fight for a while and good ranger shoots bad ranger several times and like bad ranger is actually like terminator ranger like he's like a robot (laughs) or something and and because of that because of that ranger figures out like oh it's our own fears so i guess ranger's fear was himself facing a terminator version of himself (laughs) yeah weird i don't know aluma is off by herself and again like i said i i i did not expect her to die at all i thought for sure that she would be the nice pretty girl who would make it through the whole thing but no she crawls into some kind of tight space and she ends up like like wires or hoses or something shoot out of the walls and wrap her up and like totally crush and 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 destroy her and and yeah. she's dead i i kept thinking that Cabron would show up and save her because he's like right behind her um but he's too late and and she's totally dead and that totally threw me for a loop because yeah. i thought that that romantic pairing would be the last ones
0: yeah and it, and also this one was a little tonally off from the rest of them as well i mean it's 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 a gory kind of movie but in general, the kills up until this point weren't super explicit, and this one was really gross. I mean, these tentacle things are wrapped around her. And actually, at first, I thought we were in for another tentacle rape scene. It was—I was, I was, I was also, too. Yeah. I, I was getting shades of the Evil Dead too, where they were—you know—they yep. were wrapping yep. around her legs and stuff. But then it's just they crush her, and it is absolutely explicit in the crushing of her face, and the crushing of her arms and her legs. It's pretty gross. Again and hats you can hear on. the bone snapping it's yeah it's uh, it's gross oh yeah i mean hats off to the special effects in this in this but again i was not expecting that level of
1: detail Coming up. Yeah, even, me either. Even, And I think that that's another scene that they had to cut. And even with it being cut, it's still pretty uh, graphic, especially for this type of movie. And then, okay, so then Ranger and Cabron meet back up and they have this little conference about, oh, okay, well, it's just our fears. There's nothing to fear but fear itself, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're in this huge room, which again reminded me of Alien or Prometheus or like where they find the engineer's room uh, or whatever. And it's this huge room and like there's this big it, – it looks like a staircase, but I don't think that there are any stairs there. And um, Core appears at the top and uh cabrin says something like you knew about this you knew what would happen or something and then cabrin <laughs> climbs a magical staircase yeah. that appears stair by stair and like i again i didn't get it like were we supposed to believe that now that he knows that he can manifest things he can manifest this staircase is that what we were supposed to think i i got the sense um,
0: that core was manifesting the staircase but again it could be it could be it could be anything because it's not clear at
1: all right and and so then he gets up there and he and uh, Cabern and core have this conversation and we find out what has really been going on all along and why core has seemed kind of odd throughout it turns
0: out that core, I guess, is actually Xerxes, this planet master, whatever, the master, with the right? red face that we had from the very beginning. And he explains that this alien pyramid is a kind of puzzle for children of an ancient alien race. Yeah. It's kind of a an initiation of sorts to put them through the paces, I guess, make them confront their fears or something like that, um, to determine who's going to be the leader or who's going to be the king or who's going to be whatever. And that he himself... Uh, went through this, and that was what made him the Planet Master Xerxes. I guess he's looking for a successor? Is that what it is? I guess. It, I even, guess so. I guess. Even, even in the explanation, his motivation is not entirely clear.
1: <laughs> no, but yeah, it's it's like an even more messed up Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Like <laughs> yeah. He brought all these people here to test them to see if they were worthy of seceding him. Um, and the only one... Well, and again... Plot-wise, it doesn't make any sense because we never see Ranger again. Ranger doesn't die; he doesn't go anywhere. But Cabrin is established as the last (laughs) survivor. (laughs) I I didn't realize that. You're absolutely right. (laughs) And and there's there like I guess atop this weird tower or whatever is where uh, Core is going to put Cabrin through his final test, um, and all of the dead people show up. Uh, and try to attack him. Um, and of course they're all in various stages of gore and, and grossness. Um, um, like he doesn't even really fight them back. No. Like it's all of them except, a, it's all of them except a Luma. And they kind of like all come around him and are like down, like he's on the ground and they're leaning over him acting weird. And then they just disappear. Yeah, And he wakes up, and Aluma is kneeling over him and, and talking to him, and he, he kind of stands up, and she comes like she's going to kiss him, but then she grabs him, and she starts throttling him, and he pushes her away, and he vaporizes her or whatever. And then all of the monsters that we've seen kill anybody else show up, and he fights them off. His main weapon is
0: a series of backflips. It seems like he just... Back, he backflips himself out of everything that's all he needed to do and I wish he had told everybody else they could have done the same thing because they would have all been able to defeat these monsters by backflipping away from them dramatically
1: and then he, he he finally he defeats all of them I guess and he ends up again just face to face with Core and um, and can, like there's no explanation for these things like they're just standing there Cabrin and Kor are just standing there all of a sudden these white Orbs of light come out of Cabron's abdomen, shoot into Core. Core's red glowiness goes away. And then Core is like, Now you're the master. And Cabron's like, Well, I'll never do what you did. And Core's like, You already have because you're the master now. And then Core dies. And then Cabron's head glows red. It cuts to the exterior of the pyramid and the credits roll. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, What? what just happened? Where is Ranger? Like, (laughs) like, how are they going to get home? Like, oh, it's so weird. But I didn't even care. Like the whole movie had been kind of weird, but also uh, surprisingly entertaining. And so when it was over, I was like, okay. (laughs) That was fun.
0: (laughs) I think it's the kind of movie that when it's done, you look back on and go, yeah, that was kind of fun because it, It subverts your expectations in a bad way all the way through the movie. Uh, You know, Sometimes when we say, oh, it's subverted by expectations, it means that, oh, it took something I expected and put a cool twist on it. In this case, I was expecting it to go somewhere, (laughs) and it never did. This is not a movie I think you want to watch late at night when you're tired. And I remember this happening to me, too, before. The problem with it is there's really no sense of urgency or motivation propelling these guys through. You get the sense that the film is trying to set up this mysterious mythology from the very beginning with Xerxes, this planet master, uh, with this red face who is kind of set up in a Darth Vadery kind of vibe or something. You're not quite sure because yeah. you know this commander comes across the screen. He's calling him Lord, and he's the one who's going to assemble this group. And uh, he seems a little sinister from the beginning, but he's also meeting this psychic woman oracle or whatever in what looks like, like an apartment, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And, and so it doesn't really quite click or gel if this – how significant is this guy – they're calling him this lord, but I'm not really getting it because it's never set up properly. And so the sense of urgency to lead them through the task that they have to do was never quite clear on me. And then the climax of the movie where he's facing this lord and he's going to be the next one, again, I, I really didn't know what that meant. I mean, what does that mean? Does he go back mm-hmm. to the apartment with the oracle and right for a while. <laughs> you know like i it, it didn't feel as significant to me as i suppose it was supposed to because nothing was developed before this for me watching it it gets kind of boring i mean it's not boring in the sense that cool things don't happen but it's kind of boring in the sense that i'm really not sure why they're continuing to make the choices they make and why this mission is so important why at some point they're just not throwing their hands up in the air and and turning around and walking away.
1: Right. I felt that way at some point too, but then there came a point where I was like, Okay, they don't care, so I don't care. You yeah. know, <laughs> like let, let's just let's just go with it and see who gets killed next and how. And, and I was okay with that. The way that it subverted my expectations was, I expected it to be really bad. It's got all of the necessary ingredients for a bad movie. You know, it, 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 in a way, it kind of reminds me. You know how you go on a ride at like Universal Studios, and it's one of those rides where it's mostly like actors are like okay we're on a mission and now we have to do this and come Mm. along with us and then like you know you you go on part of the ride and then there's more actor scenes and stuff It, it reminded me of that to, to some extent, but I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It was fun to watch, and and there were some really the effects were good. They were fantastic. And even though yeah, and even though it was made on the cheap, like I really liked looking at the scenery. It was really neat to look at, and I I wasn't bored. I mean, I it's a short movie. It's only like an hour and twenty minutes, um, and there were parts, especially I would say, you know, maybe towards the end of the first half hour where um, it kind of started to drag just a tiny bit, um, but it got back into the action, and I, I liked it. <laughs> I, I yeah. can see me watching this again. You know, yeah. if I, I if I flipped by it late night on, on TV and it was on, I might sit and watch it again. It was, it was fun to watch. Yeah, I
0: agree. The effects are great, even though the story doesn't make a lot of sense, even though it's really kind of hard right. to follow. You go with it because it doesn't feel like a cheap film in, in many ways.
1: Right. It, it's ambitious and mm-hmm. i think for the type of movie it is and for the budget that it had um it, it it's it's a success in in many ways uh, much more so you know you and i have watched a couple corman movies and i've seen a couple others and i've seen others in that same vein and you're right sometimes they look really cheap um and and this one doesn't uh, i i liked it it was fun yeah Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this one,
0: please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere your favorite podcasts are sold. Also, you can find us on Facebook. Like us there. Leave a comment. Let us know what you thought of this film. Thanks again uh, to Ryan, who left us a comment there and pointed us towards this film as a tribute to Aaron Moran. Thanks, Ryan. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw.